Hey everyone, we just wanted to give you a warning that we talk about torture and implied sexual violence in this episode. So if that's something you don't want to hear us talk about, you should probably skip this one. Who did you want to be, and who did you actually become? This is episode 52 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. Alex, what did we watch today? Who did you want to be, and who did you actually become? This is episode 52 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. Why did you say that twice? Uh, Alex, I get it. Alex! <laughs> uh, I thought you understood the bit. We watched the do-over. I fucking got her. You Ooh. did. That was pretty good got. Uh, yeah, we watched the do-over. Ep- episode's over. One, one, You get got once, we're done. We have podcast over, I'm, in fact. I'm, this is all yeah. just lead up to that one joke. <laughs> it was one long, shaggy dog. Leading up to that one stupid joke. And we're going to start over at going overboard. And uh, if I get you again, 52 episodes down the line, we have to start over. 52. Yeah. We have a little over a week left. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, eight days. Well, then we're going to do some after stuff, which I think we might talk about at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. what our plans are. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Woof. 52. Yeah. And we are watching all 60 Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler adjacent films in a row for 60 days. Uh, I do want to be clear that we're, we, we said this like back in the beginning, we're not just watching movies that Adam Sandler stars in. He has to have like an active role. They have to be part of the, the Sandler canon. So no, well, we didn't watch men, women and children. Yeah, why, uh, why would you ask that? Of course, he didn't. didn't star in that movie. But we are watching every movie he does. He does star in. It's just not every movie he's a bit part in. I thought he starred in that one. No, he didn't. Oh well, never mind then. He's like the fifth person on the IMBD. Yeah. Um, well, I think. But anyway, um, like the same reason I'm not watching Undeclared just to see that one episode where Adam Sandler plays himself. It's a good episode, though. It's a good episode. It's a great show in general. Go watch it. But you know, it's too much work. Yeah, so why are we doing this, though? Well, there will come a time when all of us are dead. All of us. There'll come a time when there are no human beings remaining to remember that anyone ever existed or that our species ever did anything. There will be no one left to remember Adam Sandler or David Spade, let alone you. And let's sum up the rest of that quote with, So fucking what? Does Adam Sandler deserve all the hate? What is that from? The Fault in Our Stars. (laughs) God, really? Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, okay. I was like, what's something that has to do with cancer um, and also has to do a little bit with, like, uh, uh, Death of the Author, maybe? Mm. So, mm-hmm. Well, The Fault in Our Stars, it's by John Green. And pretty much all of John Green's books, in my professional opinion, are essentially the same. They are the same in terms of soul. They all share the same soul, much like an Adam Sandler movie. I want to point out I've never read anything other than that quote from that book, and I've never seen anything that guy's done. Um, I just saw a YouTube video reference it once, so. (laughs) Uh, The cigarette is a metaphor. That's what you have to know. Oh, okay. To to cancer. So this is a two-star Sandlayer film because it stars Adam Sandler, and it was produced by Happy Madison. It shares the director Stephen Brill with a few other films we've seen um Little Nicky and is that it yeah just Little Nicky 
and then we'll we'll see him again one other time. Steven Brill did do heavyweights, which is really good. And oh, he also did Mr. Deeds, which is really good. And then uh, without a paddle and Drill Taylor, which I'm not a fan of. But hey, he, he's about 50-50. <laughs> I haven't seen Drill Bit Taylor. It doesn't sound like a movie that I would it's... like. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. It's not the role I like Owen Wilson in. Mm, okay. Whether and whose fault that is, who knows. It's like you, me, and Dupree. I just fucking, that movie sucks. <laughs> that, that's a shitty movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, this movie also co-stars David Spade, one of the Happy Madison favorites. Yeah. Oh, I, I also, I, I want to mention, I think Stephen Brill also directed Going Overboard, right? Actually, I think you're right. Uh, let, me, yeah. let me see. He did. He he was the priest in Going Overboard, too. No, but it, it was directed by someone else. He was just in Going Overboard. Oh, okay. Yeah, he My was bad. the priest. There yeah. we go. Yeah. All right. Because there is a reference to going overboard in this movie. Yeah, a very um, slight one. a small one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was enough to make us both look at each other. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this movie was like just below two hours long, and I laughed 46 times. It was it was pretty funny throughout. Nothing spectacular. Um, but it wasn't like a straight comedy movie. It was, it was very uh, kind of a thriller. Yeah, right? it was a detective thriller. Mm-hmm. I liked it because I I really like detective thrillers. I, as so happens so many times, if it's a movie I'm only half paying attention to, I didn't realize that I had already seen this movie until, you know, I had that pervasive sense of deja vu throughout. There, I want to point out, there's nothing more annoying to me than when Jessica says, I think I've seen this movie 10 minutes in, and then like 10 minutes later, she's like, mm, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, actually, I think I might have seen it in the background. And then five minutes before it ends, be like, oh, yeah, I definitely saw this. And I'm just like, <laughs> can you <laughs> please just pay attention the first time? She did that to John Wick 2. How do you not know if you've seen John Wick 2? Anyway, continue, my, please. My brain doesn't register stuff sometimes. Um, but I remember, like, not enjoying it the first time. I don't know. I had, like, a, a memory of not enjoying it, which is maybe why I didn't pay attention. But now I'm primed, I believe, to enjoy these movies. <laughs> All right. Well, is that fair? You, you didn't listen. You didn't pay attention to a detective story. And then you're like, well, that was kind of bad. Yeah. Because it's a detective story. I, That's not a fair interpretation of the movie. I though. never said it was a fair interpretation. I'm saying that well, I was just, wrong the first time around. Well, I want to uh, continue on this because guess who else didn't give a fair chance to this movie? Uh, the critics. Oh, do you want to guess the scores real quick? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the critics probably gave it like a 20. And I think audience probably gave it like a 50-something. Uh, audience gave it a 42%, but with only 2,200 user ratings, mm. which is pretty low. Yeah. They're doing all their reviews on Netflix. Yeah. And uh, audience gave it a 9%. Or sorry, critics gave it a 9%. So, uh, you know, just one of the worst movies ever, according to them. But why, though? Well, let me uh, read a few of these. The do-over is Sandler doing literally anything he wants, whether it makes sense or not. Hey, did did this movie make sense? Yeah, it had a plot line. I mean, was it as ridiculous as any other, like, beach novel mystery thriller? Yeah, it was. Like, yeah. It, at the times, it was absolute nonsense. That's fine, though, because that's how cheap 
it's not gonna be the Da Vinci Code, which also sucks. Okay. <laughs> no, the Da Vinci Code does not make any fucking sense. So don't don't bring that out. I haven't, that, I haven't seen it, do- so I can't tell you. <laughs> so, uh, like, I, I was forced to watch the Da Vinci Code once, and like, it's basically a man whose uh, magic power is making shit up. Um, is like, well, look at he painted in blood this thing, so obviously priests are getting naked and banging each other. That's like basically what happens. Um, but they do it by like, look at the Mona. It's it's national treasure, which also doesn't make sense. But that's that's what the plot line is. There is no difference. Hmm. Yeah, a few other uh, reviews are like the plot threads can be a little hard to follow. It but was... Sandler and Spade's partnership give us the whole enterprise enough emotional ground to make up for it. That was actually a positive review. But I'm like, what do you mean it was hard to follow, dude? The you complained that at one point when there's like a, a twist that they showed clips of the twist to make it easy to follow. Yeah. They, and I was ugh. like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, don't treat me like I'm a fucking idiot. But <laughs> turns out every critic needs that. It was not hard to follow. Yeah. It, it, it was, gosh, uh, I'll talk more about like the beats of like the, of the, de- mm-hmm. the detective novel that lies inside this movie after, you know, we go through the plot. Hit me with some more of those. I want. I, I'm, I'm feeling just like hit. Hit me with one. A central plot device is in the film is a key that's been stuffed up a corpse's rectum, and that's a decent metaphor for Sandler's Netflix era output. Sure, it stinks, but it still fits somewhere. So that's the level of you know. There we go. A film that gets markedly dumber with every passing minute. The do-over, Adam Sandler's second Netflix film, is what happens when a successful artist is given a lots of money and very little direction. Yo, the dude's fucking rich as hell. He can make any movie he wants. <laughs> very little direction, a lot of money. What are you talking about? I also want to be very clear that this was a movie that was um, put onto Netflix and, and no one had to pay a single dollar except for their Netflix subscription to watch this and it, movie. <laughs> and you shouldn't be paying for your own. But, uh... <laughs> Like, the thing is, very little direction. Um, he didn't even write this movie, which I find funny. But that idea that now, if, if you give an artist a lot of money and little direction, bad things happen is such a critic's thing to say. Because, like, in my opinion, we should give artists more money and not make them do specific things because good stuff comes out of that, right? Like, that's Alex, that's a good thing. What do you mean? These... <laughs> actors need to stay in their lane yeah i mean oh yeah my bad <laughs> let the true artists the directors <laughs> yeah uh. um this one this one i wanted to talk about because i i don't know if it's fair i i consider this an unfair take but you might have a slight different attitude Typical Adam Sandler fare in every way, from the raunchy humor to the inclusion of his buddies, to the deplorable view of woman, to the vacation disguised as a movie shoot, to the forced sentimentality in the final act. I I disagree with, uh, you know, raunchy humor is fine. Don't watch this movie if that's not your interest. Um, Buddies in the movie. Yeah, they're fucking famous actors. He's friends with a lot of actors at this point. Yeah. The deplorable view of woman. Do you agree with that in this movie? On one hand, yes. On the other, no. Because I felt like it was a very clue-rich thing. And also, like, yeah. he's... The, I, I want to talk about it, but Adam Sandler plays a bit of a fucking idiot in this 
movie. Yeah, he's not he's, he's not very bright. Yeah, he's shown to be not very bright. He's a liar and he like wishes he could be a cop, but he was too uh mentally unstable for that, which might be impossible, but uh Yeah, it's really hard to tell whether or not he was lying though when he was saying all that stuff. Very unclear. Yes. No one's sure like you don't know by the end of it what his job even is. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, so the the part the part that I think might be a bad attitude toward women is when David Spade I'm I'm skipping through the the plot here. Uh, when mm-hmm. David Spade starts beating up Heather, it's not a problem that he's being her up because she pulled a gun on him and, you know, they're having a fight. But he says, I'm sick of women lying to me. Like, that was unnecessary. Yeah, but... <laughs> it, it's I, two women in his life. Just two. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree. But, like, we're supposed to see them as pitiful and, uh, like, not... <laughs> And another woman does lie to him in the movie, but that's, it's a lie of omission. Oh, that she has a husband? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, we're supposed to see these as pitiful guys who have bad outlooks on the people around them. Um. Well, until then. Let's recap, and then we can talk about it a little more. Yeah. Uh, I, I have ambivalent right feelings. I have ambivalent feelings. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here's the plot. Charlie, played by David Spade, has a sucky life. He's married to his high school crush, the prom queen who definitely is cheating on him with her ex-husband, the prom king, is disrespected constantly by her and his two stepkids, and has a job that also garners no respect. That he I want to point out that those the his wife and the uh, Sean Astin, the prom king, are, like, making out at their... Uh, reunion, yeah. Yeah, reunion in front of everyone. Like, it's, it is a very public shaming of him. Yeah. Uh, he, he has no backbone. This is his problem. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't changed much at all since high school. Like, he has the same car and everything. Uh, and st- same job. St- same job. Uh, this changes when Max Kessler, played by Adam Sandler, who's his former best friend, meets up with him during their 25-year high school reunion. He says that he's an FBI agent come to see him in, uh, and to come to see him in Florida sometime. And this really impresses uh, Charlie because... You know, he, Max, had always wanted to be an FBI agent, and there he is living his dream, and, you know, he's kind of feeling like, man, I've wasted my life. At home, he finds out that his wife won a spa day for two days in Naples, Florida, but she's not inviting him. Uh, She's inviting her girlfriend instead. So Charlie takes the opportunity to go with Max to Florida. And Max fakes their deaths and steals the identities of Butch Ryder and Dr. Ronald P. Fishman. Uh, under the the presumption that Charlie wouldn't want to live his boring life anymore anyway. And at first, Charlie is not into this, but when he attends his funeral, and his funeral is uh, lukewarm, tepid, canceled early to go to the Dolphins game. It has his, the main speaker at his funeral is his wife's ex-husband. <laughs> yeah, his stepkids are playing like Game Boy at his, at his funeral. Um and then he goes home and he finds uh, he finds his his uh, wife and her ex Sean Astin having sex while watching the Dolphins game. It's they they also live in Florida. I want to point out oh. that 
I guess it's true because the Dolphins. Anyway, they're seem in Jacksonville is the thing. So yeah, um, I just want to point out like this is a uh, very realistic take for people who are uh, living in Florida. Florida is a hellscape, and I hate to go there. Um, and I hope this offends anyone from Florida because <laughs> I hate that place. Yeah. Even your grass hurts people's feet. What's wrong with that? I did All see right. like some cute ground owls in Florida once. I liked that. I saw a lizard there once, and he was my only friend. But the water was so hot, it felt like jello. Uh, anyway, turns out that Butch Ryder had a safety deposit key up his bum when he died. And and by the way, uh, Max is using the excuse that he actually is a coroner, and that's how he got these bodies at this point. So Butch Ryder had a safety deposit key up his butt when he died, and they track down where it was from. Uh, and it turns out Puerto Rico... And when they get there and they have their fake IDs and everything, um, they see that the box is full of money, a tablet, and a map to a getaway home in Puerto Rico signed by Ryder's lover, Dakota. Some assassins come by and start shooting, though, when they're staying at the house and Max gets them out of there. The assassins are led by a very tall German gymnast who is also the doctor from Funny People. Yes. Uh, Tristan. Same character in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, same character. Tristan Vogel, I think, is his name, right? I think. So the next thing they do is they go to Dr. Fishman's house. Now they're going to try to solve this mystery. Ooh, why are they trying to be murdered? So they go to Dr. Fishman's house and they essentially kidnap his wife, Heather. Uh, they tell Heather that her husband is dead and she's kind of along for the ride. She points them to a biker bar where Ryder and Fishman would hang out. And it's there that they meet Dakota. The lover, who is a burly biker guy. He helps them out and tells them about the pharmaceutical stuff uh, that Dr. Fishman was doing. Uh, it turns out that Dr. Fishman and, uh, well, Butcher Ryder had cancer and Dr. Fishman had this uh, experimental treatment uh, that they were doing on the down low, uh, non-FDA approved, and it was actually working. Uh, but then the accountant, Shecky, said that the funds had dried up and that someone was trying to bury the drug. And it's at that point the tall German assassin comes and kills Dakota, and they have to get out of there fast. So next they go to Shecky's place, and he says he doesn't know why the funds went away, but Max doesn't believe him. Uh, they end up holding up at Max's mom's house, and there, Becca, who is Max's quote-unquote stalker ex, shows up. And while he and Becca have sex... Heather and Charlie also get together. So they go back to Dr. Fishman's lab because they're, you know, they've, they've, they've hit a dead end here. So they go to Dr. Fishman's lab trying to see if there's anything they can dig up. And that's where Charlie finds out that Max, Max has cancer. He was on the, the list of people that were being treated. Uh, and not only that, he's married to, to Becca and he has a kid, which explains why he's so interested in finding the, the cancer treatment formula, because previously Charlie was kind of like um, jabbing at him about like, why do you why do you want this? Let's just give it to the bad guys when we find it. So they stop trying to kill us. Yeah. um And throughout the movie, Adam Sandler's character has been making references to the fact that he was raised without a father and how awesome Ron's dad was. Yeah, it, it there are just, you know, there are hints definitely sprinkled throughout this is not sudden it's not a sudden revelation if you've been paying attention to the movie you could have figured it out 
And not only yeah, that, like I knew it. They beforehand. did. They did at that point flashbacks just to make sure that you knew <laughs> all the little pieces that were tied together, including mm-hmm. the hint about uh, Max's uh, son. I mean, yes. But just in case you missed it, they flash back to let you know. So um, they we had that revelation, but Max has gone back to Shecky's place with the intention of torturing the truth out of him. But it turns out Shecky was actually a good guy and was only withholding information because he thought that that they were with the bad guys, uh, this chemo company that was trying to bury the drug because they could have, uh, if this drug came out, they would have lost like a bunch of money because chemo for this would no, no longer have been necessary. But it also turns out that he's already been shot uh, before Max even got there. The German assassin was in the house all along. Uh, and before, it's, it's before he dies that, that he's able to tell Max all of this. And then the German assassin, you know, nabs Max and ties him up and tortures him in the basement. In the meantime, Charlie and Heather have a conversation that makes Charlie have a realization about where to find the formula. It's the hint that uh, of Jenga uh, on the tablet. The app for Jenga is where the formula is hidden. Uh, And he ends up visiting Becca, the ex-wife, to tell her that he thinks that Max is in trouble, uh, that something's going on. And he also tells Heather that he found the formula. Oh, sorry. Actually, it was the conversation between Charlie and Becca that made him realize. Never mind. Mm -hmm. I got that mixed up. Um, So he calls Heather to tell him, to tell her that uh, he found the formula And then Heather shows up at Shecky's in the basement. She's been in on it the whole time. She was going to take the money to bury the treatment because her husband wasn't going to. She also tells Charlie that Max killed Shecky and to meet her somewhere with the tablet. And then she tells the German assassin to kill Max, but he ends up accidentally killing himself by electrocuting himself Mm -hmm. um, while trying to torture him. Charlie, though, was on to Heather all along because he knows that Max, you know, needs that cancer treatment and also that is well, his friend would never kill an innocent guy yeah she, he's not on it or he doesn't think that the whole time he learns that at the end when she lies on the phone and says that max is crazy and angry yes. and killing innocent people when he realizes at this point he's trying to save his own life for his kid yeah that's exactly what i meant i meant like from that phone call he didn't show yeah. up yeah you know <laughs> he didn't start it being like i think she's bad yeah uh, he fights her off at first, but she ends up getting the tablet anyway. And then Max shows up, uh, but she ends up getting the gun on both of them and admits that she was the one who killed Ryder and Fishman in the first place. And that's when Becca leaps down on top of her and they have an extended slow-mo fight scene while the other two watch. I really like this because I like the actress who plays Becca. Yeah. She is also, she plays Alice in Step Brothers. She's always, like, she's always weird. I love her yeah, so Catherine much. Yeah, Catherine Hahn. Yeah, she's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and just watching her kick the shit out of Heather is so funny. <laughs> um, anyway, the police show up, and when Becca's putting her hands up, she accidentally throws a tablet in the ocean. This is the only part that I thought was stupid. <laughs> it should have been, like, the tablet was smashed in the fight or something, because it was really taking a beating. And sadly, the data was irrecoverable, but fortunately, Charlie made a backup, and the backup is in a USB in his rectum. Uh, the two managed to get out of jail time because they have broken many laws, uh, but yeah. they managed to get out, out of jail by having an effective cure for cancer to pass on to the government. 
Yeah, which in a voiceover, they say, the only sure thing, <laughs> get out of jail card you can have, an effective cure for cancer. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the FBI has actually been following them the whole time um, in a great red herring scene, which I'll talk about later, too. I just haven't mentioned that at all yet. Yeah, it's very ploppy. Yeah, it's, so. yeah, it's, yeah. Charlie scares the piss out of his now ex-wife and stepkids by dressing up like a zombie and scaring them, which is what I would do, too. And then everyone lives happily ever after in Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. The end. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to talk about how this is a detective novel, like straight up. Yeah, I wanted to uh, start back, though, before I we lose the does do these characters hate woman thing. There's... Definitely from Adam Sandler's character, he is acts very womanizing. And I think a lot of it is it is supposed to be a detective thing. So he keeps acting womanizing in a like that manner, but giving absolutely terrible advice, not knowing what he's talking about. And then it's revealed at the end. The reason he doesn't ever like get near any woman is because he's married the whole time and really likes his wife. Yeah. Which is, I found really funny because you're supposed to be like, this is, wow, like a shitty womanizer. And then it just, <laughs> like, he, he's just real weird with his wife. And he's he's trying to get uh, Charlie to have fun. Uh, and really throughout the whole movie, the women have a lot of sexual agency. The movie mm-hmm. doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but actually, no, no, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. No, I don't know. But the women do have a lot of sexual agency. Becca... Like, the whole stalker ex thing uh, is a sex thing for them. But also, she's she is following him around because she's worried about him and wants to spend more time with him. Because he's dying, right? Yes. So there's that. Heather has a lot of sexual agency in the fact that she uses her sexuality to manipulate Charlie, which can be a misogynistic trope. But I think it's done decently here um because like when you're just watching the movie and you think like why is heather getting with this guy who's yeah. like a complete dope well she's trying to she is the predator in this situation there's literally adam sandler gave advice to when the moment's right just take your tongue and then fuck her <laughs> mouth with it and it shows David Spade from behind <laughs> moving his head back and forth. Uh-huh. And you're like, that's fucking disgusting. Why would why would that work? And then it works because it's, you know, a fucking clue that she's lying. Yeah. Because no one in their right mind would uh would like be that. Cool with that. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's probably a thing that Max and his wife do. <laughs> I mean, they're, probably. They're um, so weird. Um but there's and- a lot of stuff they do also without uh mentioning it, is like they show that uh sean astin is being uh pegged by his ex-wife um and they don't like make fun of it no Um, it's just like their sex thing yeah adam sandler has sex with a blow-up doll while uh listening to someone no he's he's on the phone with his wife (laughs) yeah Yeah. um, (laughs) but he lies and says it's a phone sex thing yeah um and then uh david spade brings it up to his wife and she acts offended and then she's like, no, I'm fucking with you. I bought him the doll. That's, yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> they they have a threesome with Louise Guzman and uh, I, uh, Catherine Bell is the actor. Yeah. And the only joke there is that David Spade keeps look at, looking at <laughs> Louise Guzman 
Um, he's so <laughs> and he awkward. keeps telling him to stop. And then uh, he, he gets sweated on by Guzman's balls, um, which is always funny. That's it's a funny thing. It's just funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Adam Sandler is just on the couch watching all this and like vaguely commenting. Yeah. So it's like actually one of the most sex like positive yeah. movies I've ever seen. No, it's actually super sex positive. And the good thing, but like the better thing is Jackie Sandler plays the other woman in that scene and she's too drunk and has like passed out. And she's, yeah, you know, she's there. She's fully clothed and just passed out. That's all. Like yeah. they didn't, obviously there was a consent issue there. Um, whereas everybody else was sober. Well, they were, you know, I'm saying not like, sober because they took shots in the. I'm saying scene, that but they were, they, yeah. they were not acting intoxicated at that moment in time. No, they they didn't act like they were drunk in the scene. Right. For sure. um, um, which actually, I and, mean, that I I liked how they kind of portrayed that actually, and I do yeah. think that this movie is is very overall sex positive. And then they <laughs> in even a, have in uh, a really weird way. <laughs> yeah, Mike uh, Chickless gets angry that David Spade had sex with his wife and comes over with a bat to yell at him. Um, and in one of the funniest scenes gets shot in the leg by the assassins, then shot in the other <laughs> leg by Adam Sandler. And he's just in the pool screaming, <laughs> just making gurgling noises and, and shouting. And then in the final scene, he's back over there, happy to be their neighbor and is over it. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I found funny yeah. um, that they didn't like kill him off and they made him just a nice guy then. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, in my mind, the idea that they were dealing with sex in a uh, childish, lame way is like, actually, it's kind of very childish to think that they're dealing with sex in a uh, negative light. And it's a very uh, prudish idea in my mind that that's how, what they were doing. Well, in addition to, because that's all the this, this straight relationships, there's also a couple of gay relationships that are portrayed in the in, in the movie that are also portrayed in a positive way. They don't. I was I was kind of upset when you told me that one of the reviews said that this movie was homophobic. I don't I don't think so. I think that this yeah. this movie did it portrayed the the homosexual relationships in the exact same tone and light as it treated the same uh, the the straight relationships. Dakota, the the burly biker guy, he acts the same way when he is holding. Um, Adam Sandler up by his neck, like threatening to beat him up um, because he's wearing his he's wearing Butch Rider's jewelry and is like really mad and, and wants to know what happened to Butch. Um, he doesn't change his affect or anything. There are so many movies and even some Happy Madison movies where like when we mm-hmm. find out a character is gay and then they kind of change how they act later. I'm thinking yeah. of Chuck and Larry specifically. Mm-hmm. But this one, like he's just a normal character. It could have been replaced by a woman and it would have made the same amount of sense, which is really how relationships kind of work. And like Adam Sandler doesn't shame him at all, you know, for for it. Um, yeah. There's just a funny scene where he goes down on his fingers. <laughs> and then um, which brings me to, well, there's there's two parts of this. There is what I think people thought was a homophobic uh, scene where Adam Sandler is trying to convince um, the German guy who's about to torture him that uh, torturing him would be gay because he was going to torture him by sodomizing him Mm -hmm. um, with items, which is a way people get tortured by the military and stuff. Yeah, um, and and in this case, this is not... This is torture. It It is a power dynamic, not a sexual thing. Yes. And 
Adam Sandler just keeps saying like, well, if you enjoy torturing me by doing this, it does make you gay. So like, just I'm saying that you're that's what's happening. And if that makes you upset, you shouldn't do it because he's trying to get out of it. And uh, the the German guy gets upset at Adam Sandler for trying to ruin his fun, basically. And it brings us to like another theme in this movie is that they have a connection with pain and sex in this movie Mm -hmm. um, repeatedly where Adam Sandler thinks a guy came at one point or no, David Spade did, but he actually had gotten shot and was making death noises. Mm -hmm. The German guy dies while twisting his nipples, which we have already mentioned that Adam Sandler likes his nipples played with and he likes squeezing nips. That's just one of his things. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm missing one too. Yeah, because there was there's a note I made too that was related to that. I just can't remember the other one. But yeah, um, it, it's just an interesting thing they did. Um, I think it makes sense because they're they're kind of making fun, but not really making fun of uh, all these action movies where the guy gets like beaten to shit and then bangs, and it's all the same thing, and it's just masculinity is is like I got punched in the face and now I'm James Bond and I'm doing the bad girl mm-hmm. like all that shit. It was generally just like a, a kind of funny theme. I don't think it means too much, but it, it is interesting that they just kept linking those things. Yeah. I mean, I, I do want to say about the torture scene, I, I can definitely see a critique where, like, you can make a, a critique that this is a homophobic scene inherently. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I don't think that that was the intention. I don't think that that scene takes away from the positive representations of of the gay people in the previous scenes. Cause even Shecky, I believe is supposed to be gay. Um, Cause he's like one of, one of Butch Ryder and Dr. Fishman's friends. Like they all hung out in the same circle and everything. And he's, yeah, he's uh, a good guy. Yeah. Point. Yeah. He's a good guy. They don't, uh, they don't mention it cause no. they don't need to as one. No, like, it's not necessary. The, the biker's a good guy. Fishman and Butch were good guys. Like, it, and then the German guy is not gay. That's the thing. This mm. is this is a a straight man trying to assert power. We should probably put a warning at the beginning of this for yeah. <laughs> for this uh, talk specifically. And I don't. I, again, I'm I'm a little I'm a little ambivalent on that scene. But at the same yeah, time, um, in so many other like James Bond, you mentioned in Casino Royale, there's a very similar scene. You yes. know, so. And I mean, the most similar scene to that is it was very uh, much a reference to Pulp Fiction oh, and mm-hmm. what happens to Marcellus Wallace, yeah. which is, again, like a torture scene, but in a much more brutal way, yeah. even if it's off uh, camera, including the fact that the person we thought was supposed to save him came down the stairs in a similar fashion. And like, yes, it was a, a not maybe great scene. But, like, that's kind of the nature of torture, right? Yeah. It's bad. Mm-hmm. And it also showed, like, that this person had a very specific thing they, like, were okay with doing. Because this person was evil, this this German guy, and was told not to torture this person, was doing it anyway, mm-hmm. and was working. I, I don't know if we mentioned this. This German guy was working for, basically, big pharmaceutical companies. Yes. That's, which is the real evil in this. Yes. Um, and we'll start talking about anti-capitalism. But like through that kind of uh, lens and stuff, it was showing that 
So basically, the way I see it is, is this is a character that's supposed to be embodying a lot of different kind of movie references to torture. If you don't know, that, uh, that big German guy was one of the, the nihilists from Big Lebowski who oh. tortured him and like, what'd he do? He like, did, they threatened to cut off his dick, right? Yeah. Um, so the opposite of the nihilists is the super capitalists who aren't going to, you know, do the thing where they take away that it's, they, they do something bad and pervert something, um, which is, you know, uh, torture someone with that type of stuff. And I don't know if that came through very well, but I did understand what they were kind of going for. Mm-hmm. It's it's taking all these torture scenes and pointing out the like torture scene as this like very like masculine cool thing to do mm-hmm. in a lot of detective thrillers. Like Jack Bauer does it all the time. Yeah. And Adam Sandler's character is trying to upset people who think it's cool, basically. And I don't think it's done in the best way, but I did understand what they was trying to say. No, and and I and I definitely get it. And here's the thing too: the movie, the focus is not on the underlying themes of this movie. Yes, those themes do exist in the movie, mm-hmm. but the focus of this one is about the mystery itself. Like I said at yeah. the beginning, this is it's a detective novel and they make several references to detective shows throughout. They reference Kojak, they reference Columbo, they reference uh, Magnum PI. Magnum, yeah. I mean, th- it, they're making it very obvious that this is supposed to be like a fun mystery that you can follow along and solve at the same time. And you can, mm-hmm. they have all the clues there for you. Yes. They even have a red herring for you. A guy with a red beard played by Nick Swartzen follows them. And you keep thinking that he's one of the bad guys, too. And they keep running him over with a car. And so they keep beating they keep beating him up. He's, like, appearing in more and more bandages throughout. And when they finally confront him, like, it's about, like, the midpoint of the movie, something like that. Um, he reveals that he's from American Express there to collect some debt from Adam Sandler's character. So, like, a, a, a real red herring. Um, in fact, they even mentioned his red beard. But then at the end, he's also he's he's actually FBI. Uh, so he he does make another appearance at the end. So although he's a red herring when it comes to the mystery itself, the the fact that he's an FBI agent kind of nicely ties that little thing in a in a bow. And there's often stuff like that in a detective novel. Mm-hmm. Either you have a straight up red herring. Or you have a red herring that ends up being just like minorly impo- important at the end. Yeah. Um, one of the things was they they tried to give him the money because he portrayed himself as a collections agent for a credit card company. And they paid him off and said, like, we got things we have to do, but like, we're not like terrible people. And then because of that, it set the gateway for them to have a happy ending. Yes. And this the movie also has other, you know... It has the the foreshadowing ready there for you. Um, you have like different. I can imagine the chapters of of what if what this would be like if it were a detective novel, because you'd have the two different perspectives. You'd have Charlie's perspective, like Charlie focused narration, and you'd have the Max focused narration. Um, you follow the clue. Each scene 
is like based off of a clue that they found in the previous scene. You end up with a dead end that you have to go recircle back in and try to dig more information out of. I mean, it just hits all of those those spots. And because of that, because of the nature of the genre, the themes fall a little bit more to the wayside. Because with a mystery, mm. you have to spend so much time setting that mystery up and giving a solid resolution. Yeah, but by making the bad guy, um, you know, greedy pharmaceutical companies, they are able to keep the theme pretty heavy. Oh, yeah. Um, of of greed's bad, money kills people, and doing stuff for money is bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that it's not the same as if it were a movie that's just straight up about pharmaceutical greed. Because yes. more of the focus, more of the spotlight is on like the actual plot instead not that yeah. those themes aren't there they're just not the focus yeah and they i think they made a good kind of way of getting around that is the main characters call the guy working for the pharmaceutical companies a nazi over and over mm-hmm. and that's fair because pharmaceutical companies are the closest thing to you know genocide for profit we have I'm not talking about all of them, but like even right now during COVID, we have that company that's getting a $30,000 markup for a drug that helps treatment. And the drug was researched under American taxpayer money. So they're making a shit ton of money off uh, everything. And when you allow a people to die without helping them, when you have the ability to help, that is a form of genocide, if you look at the actual definition. Yeah, it's murder, for sure. Yeah, and like, you know, insulin, that's that's mm-hmm. another way to genocide poor people. Yeah, the the, the genocide here is, is typically, like, poor people, mm-hmm. disabled people. So, I mean, genocide is, like... And marginalized people, yeah, for the most part. It's not a term to be used lightly, but it, that is the term. That's the term I would use. Yeah. I mean, and you can even see this, like, especially insulin. Like, if you yeah. don't know anything about that, you need to go look that up right now. Uh, but the back to the COVID thing, people are talking about the vaccine, the potential vaccine, and not how are we going to distribute this to as many people as possible, but how much is it going to cost? That's the thing yeah. on our minds. Why should it be like this? And although I don't think that I personally hope with all of my heart that if there were a cure for cancer, that it wouldn't be buried, that it would be, you know, there for for public use. I it's really hard for me to give pharmaceutical companies the benefit of the doubt like that. And I know that's that's one of the really sad things about anti-vaxxers is that they're right to be paranoid about pharmaceutical companies. They're just wrong in that specific case because vaccines actually do save lives. Well, I, I do want to point out that I do trust doctors. Yes, I trust lot. doctors. Doctors are great. They they do a ton and ton of good. Um, and you should always listen to them, basically. But And in this movie, the doctors are the good guys. Yeah, um, it, it is the pharmaceutical companies, the middlemen that uh, turn saving people's lives into a profit-making thing that are evil. Because capitalism is always bad. Um, just always is. Sorry, folks. <laughs> if you like capitalism, it's because you're brainwashed. Or you're born into uh, some really positive circumstances and uh, you get to benefit off other people's suffering. Because 
Because remember, if you're doing really well, that's kind of what it is. And not kind of, it just is. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to beat this this dead horse too much. Yeah. Do you want to go back to the misogyny thing? Yeah. Uh, someone in a review said that this movie was bros before hoes. Only if you consider your bros your son, because you don't want to die, so you can raise your kid better than, uh, you know, you were raised. Yeah. In the end, Sandler's characters with his family, you know. Yeah. And he only like went back to Charlie because he knows that Charlie is very smart. He knows yes. that he'd probably be able to figure out the things that he wouldn't be able to figure out because we've established already that Sandler's character is not a smart guy. And he was right. He he was right because it was Charlie's skills that 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 basically did everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was an interesting like subtext. The, so Charlie's character worked at a bank and he just constantly had like the ability to monitor, like to get information that you shouldn't be able to get because... He had the bank's resources at his behalf. And yeah. I found that repeatedly fucked up. But I'm also <laughs> like, man, I bet a bank could learn a lot about me really quickly if they oh, wanted. Yeah. They definitely could. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was interesting to see Adam Sandler play a character that's like, I know I'm not smart enough to do this myself. Um, but I also have a friend who is, you know, not in a good place and maybe they can do it. Mm-hmm. And he was right, too, that, that Charlie's yeah. life did suck and it was kind of a favor for him. I liked that for Sandler, his character had nothing. He had no fear of death because he was dying anyway. Either this mm-hmm. was going to be successful or he'd be dead anyway. Yes. For Charlie, he had nothing to live for. So they're yeah. kind of, I liked how they were foils to each other a lot. Um, it wasn't a perfect movie by any means, but I mean, for a little detective thriller, I, I loved it. I, 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 if this were a novel and I were reading it, I would probably devour it on the beach. I would I would absolutely love it. Yeah. The one thing I was interested in, what it was up with uh, Adam Sandler's character got a lot of gifts from Charlie's dad, um, which he mentions throughout it. Um, stuff like a little uh, motorcycle he played with when he was a teenager mm-hmm. because <laughs> Charlie wouldn't be a motorcycle type guy. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, was this just showing why... Adam Sandler's character thought of Charlie when he realized that he wasn't going to be able to be like a decent father if he dies. Like, is that just kind of what's connecting that thread? I I think so in a big way. The, the, The absence of dads in this movie, like Adam Sandler's dad died when he was very young and Charlie's dad ended up being like that surrogate father for him. Mm -hmm. I think like, if he tried to go back, you know, like that would be, that would be the family he would look to for comfort and for, yeah, I, I think that you're, yeah. um, I think you're spot on with that. Yeah. And I think as, as like a whole, what it says about him, Sandler is he's, he's really, uh, he, he's definitely family devoted, but he's also has some like very underlying fears of what would it be like if he wasn't there for his family. Mm-hmm. And also the idea that if he wasn't, he would definitely look to, you know, his, his what he considers his smarter friends, which are the people around him, I think. Yeah, and I also think that he thinks of Sean Astin as a homewrecker. <laughs> yeah, Sean Astin <laughs> is a fucking homewrecker, dude. There's only one person I fear coming into our relationship and ruining it. It's fucking Sean Astin. You know, if he came in here. <laughs> I, I would legitimately like be like, I gotta kick your ass. I'm sorry, Rudy. Like, that's, not, that's the only way I can defend my honor. Uh, um... 
Yeah, one thing that I I have noticed in a couple of these movies is just the attitudes on divorce. Mm -hmm. They aren't super great in a lot of these movies. Um, In in Click, uh, it ends up being okay um, because Sean Astin's character actually does like really take care of his kids and takes care of you know his Sean Astin's wife slash. Uh, Adam Sandler's ex's uh, ex-wife. Yeah. But there are several other movies where divorce is portrayed in a negative light, and I'm trying to think of them right now, but this is one of them. The idea of, you know... Um, divorce isn't uh, portrayed in negative light, though. It's the, the either... It's normally the ex-husband is portrayed in negative light. Ted O was, in this movie, a bad dude. Um, who didn't actually leave his wife. They just like used uh, David Spade for financial support without respecting him. And in the click, Adam Sandler's character is a shitty dude who kept butting into the new relationship when they say like repeatedly, we've told you like you shouldn't be here and this shouldn't be a thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's it's the it's not divorce, but like faithlessness in a marriage. Um, yes infidelity in a marriage not just um cheating like like physical cheating but also not adhering to your vows which which means not being there for your family and i think that Mm. that is definitely something that's really important for for sandler and probably probably the whole happy medicine crew to be honest yeah It, it seems like most of his friends are kind of family oriented now at least in their middle age well i mean like personally i've i've never had a someone I consider a friend be like, I'm going to like cheat on my girlfriend or like something like that. I've had in at like a poker night, I've had someone say like, like, yeah, I used to like cheat on my girlfriend all the time. And all of us were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, you just like a huge scumbag, just break <laughs> up with her first. Like, it's always better. Like, yeah. <laughs> You might as well just text your girlfriend while you're at the bar. We're over then like fucking cheat on them because you're just a piece of shit. Um, and then they got all salty and left. Well, um, they shouldn't say I, stupid stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember Sony had the fucking funniest line ever, which was just like, holy shit, didn't know you went full fucking scumbag. And I was fucking crying laughing. Wow. But like, there there is a subsect of people who think that's okay um, and even think it's cool. Um, and I don't understand it at all. But yeah, see, I don't know. there's also the thing like in this movie, cheating is open to perspective in this movie because yes. certainly Charlie is being cheated on and yeah. the neighbor also is being cheated on but maybe that was more of also kind of a swinging thing kind of hard to tell yeah um he's angry about it but like the thing is it's not a, it's not a a marriage under for him obviously yeah uh also Adam Sandler makes jokes in this movie, like calling David a spade an asshole for sleeping with a married woman. But then he's like, yeah, but like, whatever, she's married, you're not um, type thing. Yeah. And, you know, who to blame and things like that. Mm-hmm. It And, you know, I think they also show in this enough different ways to talk about sex. That's like, you know, just be <laughs> it's a weird line. But just because your wife might be sleeping with some dude doesn't mean that that's cheating depending on like where you're at which they show by adam sandler banging a uh 
a blow-up doll <laughs> and it being like a perfectly normal thing, whereas a lot of people would be upset by it. Yeah, I mean, some people are upset if their partners watch porn and masturbate, so, you know. Yeah, whereas <laughs> I, almost, I only I almost can just get... said different strokes for different folks, oh, and I should, just... should have just said it. <laughs> I... My joke was that I can only get hard while watching Adam Sandler movies now, so that would have that yeah. been Yeah, this podcast is, has taken a toll. <laughs> <laughs> Although every time I hear Nick Swartzen's vo- voice, I'm just rock hard. Okay, I think we're done with this, this episode. Uh, do you have anything else? <laughs> well, okay, wait, wait, wait. We have other stuff to do, but what would I made be- a new sex move called the joe dirte oh i hate that you ever seen this <laughs> do you know uh the next move i'm working on is it's called the sandy wexler oh really is that <laughs> <laughs> that's I... the next movie we're watching uh we should end this yeah oh i forgot though the the shecky reference there is a going overboard reference with shecky oh, yeah. the the accountant just an aside there did you want to talk to about what we were gonna do with uh like the last episode after we're done with all the movies yeah i guess let's let's do that so we're making plans now about a week out for what we're doing in the after episodes um after the 60th movie i think we're definitely gonna have to have a recap episode where we talk about everything right that's our what's the what's his blue period what's his orange period all that stuff Mm -hmm. and then it seems i don't know how if we we're gonna do this on podcast but we're also going to probably do it live And I think a few weeks after that, we're going to work on our own Happy Madison scripts, right? Yeah, we we definitely are. Uh, I kind of really just want to make a full short script, (laughs) like a play, like a stage play and do readings. I think that'd be just a lot of fun. My plan is to have several scenes uh, worked out and then tell the plot in between them and have has you know see what we can do with the movie and then i'm going to sell it to whoever is in direct competition with adam sandler (laughs) who is adam sandler's direct competition no one no one can compete wait wait no no i got this fuck it's seth mcfarlane (laughs) i don't know Uh, (laughs) no no uh i think probably though to be honest will ferrell oh yes of course it's will ferrell it's a good competition though because will ferrell is not like trash yeah Uh, someday i'll watch eurovision and it's gonna be good (laughs) i'm excited to watch that actually but i've only ever had time for adam sandler for the last 60 days true uh yeah well you can find our podcast at laugh at him pod on twitter and you can also find our games at wannabegames.com do we have any games like the do-over um detective ones well, Badge Buddies, kind of. Yeah, Badge Buddies would be closest. Mm-hmm. So, it's a little more cop movie focused, though. So, mm-hmm. eh, eh, kind of. Um, you did write for a game, though, that is a- closer to this. I did. Baker Street, role-playing in the world of Sherlock Holmes. It's a really fun game. Uh, I know that there are lots of Sherlock Holmes games out there. But I would swear by this one, and it's not just because I wrote for them. Uh, it's it's by Fearlight Games. 
it's it's pretty cool if you yeah. like solving mysteries if you like stuff like escape rooms or you like solving mysteries and you want to do that and at the tabletop like in a role-playing kind of situation play the game it, it was very much a mystery that's not bullshit which is what a lot of mysteries are um and it's not something where you're like i have no chance of figuring out this because it's so esoteric it hits that like nice spot of trying to actually solve a mystery. Yeah, it, it uses mechanics and also your own mind. Like you yeah. have to figure it out, but the the roles and your skills, like in-game skills, will help you out along the way. So it is that nice little niche mm-hmm. there. Not too easy, not too hard. Yeah, you can also, well, you can find the games there at wannabegames.com. You'll have to find fearlightgames.com, I think is their website. Yeah, they can Google it. Yeah, you can find, you can figure that out. You're smart. And uh, you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash wannabe games. But instead, you should donate to uh, your local cancer research hospital. Just you can donate straight to them. Don't unless you've done your research. Don't just give your money to like, for example, Susan G. Komen. Don't give your money to an organization like them. I want to throw out a yeah, don't give your uh, money to an organization you don't research first yes. and also ones that are just for uh awareness yeah. awareness is not the issue most of the time yeah pay it, for a cure yeah we need the research part uh i try to do my best to only plug organizations here that i know of i know previously mm-hmm. for funny people i I did give like a specific organization that I didn't know too well, but I had looked it up on like Charity Finder or whatever that was just to make sure it was a good organization. Uh, but everything else, like the Trevor Project, I've plugged a couple times, Black Hill, Black Hills Legal Defense Fund um, and the Bill Project. Those are those are organizations that I have done research on and I do support. Uh, so I try you can hopefully trust me on those things, but I don't know too much about cancer research. So, yeah, you can see me tweet about stuff and things at Joska. Uh, you can see me tweet about, I think, montages was my last tweet at Kitty Crusade. <laughs> Take my wife, please. You have to say it again, otherwise it doesn't make sense. Take my wife, please. Ooh, she did it over